way back, some 70, 80 years ago, uh, Walt Disney produced a movie called Snow White. If you saw the original, you remember this beautiful animated girl who sang in that real high, squeaky, shrilly voice. Someday, my prince will return. I'm not going to try to sing it. <clears throat> I'd probably wreck my throat for three weeks. It's kind of like throwing a softball after you haven't thrown one for five years. But uh, she'd sing, someday, my prince will return. And Jesus is what? Prince of Peace. He's the prince. Someday my prince will return. Well, <clears throat> what's that? Oh, someday my prince will come. I will change it slightly now and then to return because it means the same thing. He'll return or he will come. Uh, Mary and I, Marianne and I started a ministry Back in 1967, uh, we were ministering in several churches in the Des Moines area as uh, teachers and uh, pulpit supply and things like that. Long, long time ago, and um, over the years, we've seen so many people uh, and have met so many wonderful people and have become become part of the lives of so many people. Uh, it, it, it's truly exciting. Um, We've watched God save so many people. I, I haven't saved anyone in my life. Marianne hasn't saved anyone in her life. But we've seen God save a lot of people. And we are just rejoicing because a lot of people have come to know Jesus. Then we've seen a lot of people filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. What a beautiful thing. What a wonderful thing. We just rejoice in that. And we've seen uh, uh, baby dedications. And we have seen... Uh, high school graduations, and we have seen um, all kinds of things happening from from uh, uh, water baptism to people being called into the ministry, and and of course, eventually, we see things like even uh, funerals. But they're not so bad when they're Christians, are they? That, there's a there's a send off, there's a, a celebration that they're going to a better place, a stronger place, an envied place, something we. Look forward to with great envy. We want to be there. But perhaps the greatest message with all of that is the fact that someday our prince will come. We know that someday our prince will come. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are coming again. <laughs> we are thankful that you've already come once and you'll come again. We are thankful, Lord, you came as a babe, and one day you'll come back as a king. Oh, God, I'm so thankful that today your word of God is precious, relevant, exciting, thrilling. It is for today. Thank you. Bless it to our hearts. Bless it to our minds. Stand beside us. Stand inside of us. Stand with us, Lord. Just stand. Oh, God, we thank you and praise you because you're always with us. You never forsake us, and you love us through every situation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. I, Marianne got on the line for me this morning and found the exact words that it says, someday my prince will come. Someday we'll meet again. And away to his castle we'll go to be happy forever, I know. That's the words to Snow White. Sounds almost prophetic, doesn't it? Someday I'll meet him again. It's off to his castle we go, and we'll be happy there, I know. Yeah, someday. Our first scripture is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, and I want to talk to you about that prince who's coming. I want to talk to you about the day. I want to talk to you about the relevancy of the word of God for what's happening in our lives. Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 9, 10, and 11. If you have your Bibles, open it to it and read along with me. Otherwise, just look at the screen and enjoy the fact that we have the ability to throw it up there on the screen for you and you can enjoy it. Now, verse 9 says, Now, <clears throat> when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel and began to say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. May God bless the reading of your scriptures and read our hearts. You know, since that scripture was written, people have been waiting for hundreds of years, now thousands, a couple of thousand years, waiting for him to come again. They're looking for someone to come back. You know, when Jesus first came, there was great doubt in the land of Israel. Most people didn't think that the Messiah would actually really come. They'd heard about it. They'd hoped about it. Their parents had preached about it. They'd heard it in the synagogue. They'd heard it on the streets. But they didn't really believe it would happen. And then he came. And then he came. Say that with me. And then he came. And then he came. Now, today there's people who think he's not coming back. My grandparents talked about it. My great, 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 great grandparents talked about it. Why, they even talked about it in the early church. In the epistles, they talked about he may come anytime. But deep in our hearts, I think a lot of Christians today and a lot of people in general don't really believe he's coming back. But he is. But he is. He's coming back. He came the first time. He'll come the second time. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles there, go ahead and turn. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself, no one else, nothing else, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, amen, with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with him always, or we will always be with the Lord. Um. Jesus is coming. We're just not sure when, are we? Obviously, back in year one, say 1000 AD, and say it was January 10th, they probably thought he could come that day. And I imagine there were people who believed he would come that day or maybe tomorrow. And they hoped, and they preached, and they said he could come any time. But he could come anytime now. It's interesting to me that sometimes when we're further away from something, we think that uh, uh, it's not going to happen. But the truth of it is, if you look back to Bethlehem where Jesus was born, of course, and, and then you look to the ascension where he left, and then he said, I'm coming back. We're further away from that than ever, aren't we? Which means we're closer than ever to his second coming. We may be further away from that and closer to his second coming. So sometimes our minds play tricks on us. We think since he hasn't come for our grandparents, since he didn't come for Martin Luther, so he didn't come for uh, the other old saints throughout history, he maybe won't come in my lifetime. But the fact is he may come. Someday my prince will come. Someday our prince will come. Second Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles again, look at that one with me. Second Peter, just a few pages over to your right. Chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, the days preceding his coming again, walking according to their own lust. Boy, does that sound like today. There's a whole lot of lust out there, isn't there? You know, I don't know what your position is on homosexuality or, uh, or unfaithfulness in a marriage or sex before marriage. I don't know exactly what your position is, but one thing we all know, it's all based on one thing, lust. 
That we can agree on. Amen? And I don't care how sympathetic you are towards one stand or another. We all have to agree on that. That the basis of these, these sexual sins that are happening in our lives and happening all around us is based on lust. Good old-fashioned lust. They call it love, don't they? <laughs> they call it love. I don't call it love. I call it lust. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says that openly. They're walking according to their own lust. Verse 4 says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, in other words, all those before us have died, and things continue as they were from the beginning of that of creation, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, it says, They've been talking about this for a long, long time. We've seen a lot of seasons come. Water's come in. Water's gone out. It's been a dry season. It's been a wet season. It's been a great harvest. It's been a lean harvest. We've seen our kids grow up. We've seen our kids die. We've seen things happen in our lives. We've seen our technology advance. We've seen things happen. Uh, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. So it won't happen. And Peter said, some people are scoffing at it. Boy, that reminds me of today's journalism. In today's society, it seems like everyone likes to take a fun pokes at everything from our president to our religion to our, to our faith. To, it, it's, just, it's just an open season on anything that has any basis of truth, anything that has any stability to it. That's what you attack. You attack the things that are strong and try to make them weak. So maybe if you pull them down far enough, you'll get them down to where you live. Anyway, that's my comment. Um, but the, the fact of it is, there's such a scoffing attitude. I, I, Marianne was talking about the, the lady from England. What was her name again? Susan Boyle. Remember the beautiful singer from England who shocked uh, the Britons got talent? She was a 49-year-old woman. She, she came, she had very little education. She's very, very poor. And she stood in front of that stage with all those judges and all that and opened her mouth. And out came this beautiful, untapped voice that no one had ever heard before. And it captivated the world. So what happened to her within the next year? The media of Britain and the U.S., but primarily Britain, just tore her to pieces. They shredded her. They said she had no training she had no schooling. She had no background. She had no real family support. She, they, they even thought she was retarded. They thought on and on it goes. Oh, they just attacked her over and over. They began to scoff her success. And I was thinking about the fact that the Bible is a very successful book. Amen? Yeah, that's a really successful book. So who attacks it the most? Those who don't understand it. Those who don't agree with it. It's, a, it's open. Let's attack the Bible because it's stood a long time. It shouldn't have. But, it, you know, they're saying it shouldn't have stood, but it has. <laughs> so they attack it. They attack the Bible. Well, there are scoffers. And one of the really big things that they attack in our faith, folks, is this, that Jesus is actually, actually coming back, that the prince is coming soon, the prince is coming back. Can you imagine all of you well-educated, well-rounded, reasonably smart people, uh, imagine that Jesus is coming back. What an obscure, weird thought that he could come back. Sounds a little bit like Israel 2,000 years ago when they were saying, the Messiah, I doubt it. I don't think he's coming back because the Romans have control of our government. The Romans captivated everything. They take our money. They take our land, they take our pride, they take our faith, they take everything. He's not coming back, he's not coming back, and then he did. And then he did. In today's society, I, I think there's a lot of people saying, they're scoffing and saying, he'll never come back, he'll never come back. And then uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, it also says that even unbelievers will fulfill the scriptures. That the ones who scoff, who are the unbelievers, will fulfill an important part of the scriptures. 
because the scriptures say when they start saying it's not real, get ready because it's going to get real. And they're saying it's not real right now. It's going to get real very, very soon. And all of you, I don't know if you're getting goosebumps right now, but I am. I'm thinking about it. It's going to get real. It's going to get real. And it may happen in my lifetime. It may happen in your lifetime. Oh, he's coming soon. My prince is coming. My prince is coming soon. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, there's a verse that says simply, but beloved, do not forget that this, about this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. A lot of people say, well, man, it's been a long time since Jesus made that promise. It's been a long time since Jesus died for us. It's been a long time since we've seen miracles like they had in the New Testament church. But do you know how long it's been? Two days. Two days. <laughs> By God's standards, it's just two days. That's not very long ago, was it? Just happened a couple of days ago, Jesus said, I'm coming back. A thousand years is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years. So the relevancy of time is not that important to God. It is to us. We measure everything by time, don't we? Some of you are looking at your watch right now saying, okay, he'll be done about uh, 20 after maybe, quarter after. Hey, we could be home at the restaurant about 12. It's okay. And I can uh, get my nap in around 3, okay? Some of you already, I know how the mind works. Mine does it too. I, I register so much according to time, don't you? There's so much involved in time. But in God's mind, 24 hours doesn't mean anything. A month doesn't mean anything. Apparently, a 1,000 years means something because that means maybe one day. <laughs> so with that in mind, Jesus could be coming back tomorrow. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back any moment. It hasn't been that long. Now go with me in the Old Testament to Hosea chapter 5. Hosea, which is towards the end of the Old Testament, not quite at the end, but nearing the end, of, in Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. The Lord had been speaking to Israel on the reasons why he was disappointed in it. He said, you've turned to idols. You don't worship me. You're more concerned about something that somebody carved out of a piece of wood or chipped off a chunk of stone, and you formed it into something that looks like a God in your mind. You love that more than you love me. You carry that into your homes, and you bow down before a chunk of wood that was made by another human, and you call that God. And I've done all these things for you. I, I, I led you out of the wilderness. I helped you through so many situations. I'm with you now. I help you when you cry out. And yet you look to that chunk of wood and you look to that stone. And he's pretty upset with them. And he said, I, I'm so disappointed. I, I, I feel so bad about what you've done to me. So in chapter 5, verse 15, it says this. God says, I will return again to my place. He said, I came, and I'm going back. Till they, which is, of course, mankind, acknowledges their offenses or their guilt, then they, mankind, will seek my face, and then, in their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Hmm. Interesting verse. When Jesus came, they didn't receive him. Because they were looking for somebody who was a, a lot more handsome, a lot taller, a lot richer, a better pedigree, a better status in the community. Someone who could really hold the attention of people in any situation because he was so personally charismatic. And someone who was a great military leader. He could just crush the Romans who had afflicted the Jewish people at this time. They were looking for someone who could crush. And here comes Jesus born in, in a stable. Jesus, who had hardly anything of his own as far as materialistic. Uh, 
Jesus, whose parents were common people. Jesus, who didn't have a military mind. Didn't even have a political mind. He's all wrapped up in this spiritual stuff. And uh, they didn't recognize him. And Jesus spent 33 years trying to prove who he was and what he was. He proves it to me and you, doesn't he? But to the people of that time, a lot of the Jewish people, they said, ah, we want to go back and worship the stone. We want to go back and worship the chunk of wood that someone carved into a fat little god that we can bow down to. And he left them. He said, I return to the place I come from. Just like it said here prophetically, I will return again to my place. So, he named and said, because of what you haven't followed, you haven't listened, you haven't done what was right, you haven't been sincere, you had the face that looked like a Christian, but your heart looked like a bad person. What's, what's wrong? I'm going to go. But he said, I will come back. Now, look at chapter 6 of Hosea, just the very next verse, verse 1, chapter 6. Come. And let us return to the Lord. Amen. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And listen to the next verse. Verse 2 is such an amazing verse to me. Verse 2 says, after two days. How many days? After two days, hmm, he will revive us. Now, that word revive is such an interesting word because I looked in the Hebrew just to see what it said. I don't know Hebrew, but I know how to use Hebrew lexicon. So it said to revive means the possibility of restoring or returning to. So he's saying after two days he will return, and on the third day he will raise us up. Amen? That we may live in his sight. That you and I may live in his sight. So, now we understand about Jesus coming back, don't we? That he came once, he left us, he sent the Holy Ghost to take care of us, built the church, and he said at the end of the church age, which I believe we're in now, he said towards the end of the church, certain things will happen, and then I will come again, and I will revive you, and I will raise you up. In fact, it says the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then we who are alive will be raised second. Raise you up. Raise you up. In fact, sometimes, and I, I, I do this all the time, it's in one way I hope it's not true, that we say, when I go to heaven, I want to see my relatives. I hope that's not true. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be alive and see them in the air. <laughs> because that's the first place you'd see your relatives. Because they're caught up first, amen? They come up first, then we follow. And there'll be a gathering together. Hallelujah. Well, now, if I die of natural causes or unnatural causes or, you know, like the meteorite drops on me, uh, I wonder, could you take out insurance for that? I don't think so. Anyway, um, if, if I died, I, I would see my relatives. Yeah, in heaven. I'm, I'm confident. But if I shall live and Jesus comes back, guess what? I get to see him in the air. And you get to see him in the air. Woo! I was thinking about uh, Doug Poole, and I was thinking about uh, our precious Mary uh, and um, Mary Lou. And uh, I, I imagine it'd be a kind of a nice experience meeting them in the air, don't you? Think I could get into that? I don't know who'd be louder, them or, or all of you. I think I think those two might be louder than all of you. <laughs> but it'd be such a reunion. Can you think of some? Wild, crazy Christians that you've that have already gone to heaven. I know some, so many of them that I'm so. When I see them, it is going to be it's going to be a party and a half. It's going to be high fives and hallelujahs and and glory to God all over the place because I'll meet them in the air. Well, Hosea said, and let me just do that one again. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, he will heal us, he has stricken, he will bind us up. Amen. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. 
that we may live in his sight. And it goes on, it says, uh, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Uh, his going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. It's going to happen just like a sudden rainstorm. And it's been dry for such a long time, and then the rain comes. And when it comes, it really comes, doesn't it? And it rains, and it takes that old dried-up parched ground, and it changes it. And it's a glorious thing. Now, let's go into scriptures again to the book of James back in the New Testament. James chapter 5, verse 7. A lot of things in the scriptures. Do I hear cricket? Anyway, there's a lot of things in the scriptures. I'm glad it didn't sound like an ice cream truck because that happened to me once. I was preaching, and this, these people had an ice cream truck's sound on their phone. And when it, they did it, I got, I got instantaneously hungry. And everyone else did too because they heard the ice cream truck and said, I'll take two popsicles. And no, anyway, uh, <clears throat> James chapter 5. <laughs> and obviously, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 has not happened yet. We've seen two days. We've seen 2,000 years. But it says something's going to happen in that, on that third day. And I don't know how long that third day will be, whether it be a few years or many years. But I am convinced something's going to happen in the next 100 years or the next 900 years. Something is going to happen. And it could be tomorrow. I'll talk to you about that in just a bit. James chapter 5 and verse 7. Again, futuristic. Verse 7 says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently until he receives the early and latter rain. Same thing as what Hosea said. Be patient. It's about to happen, just like a farmer. Now, I grew up in Iowa, and I grew up outside of on the edges of town, not really outside of town, but right on the edge of town. And we kind of lived on a semi-farm, uh, small. <laughs> but our, our yard was larger than this, this sanctuary. And we had one tree, one house, and garden. That was, that was, it was around our house. There, there were 11 kids living in that little house, a three-room house. Not three bedrooms, three rooms. And we were living in the house and a basement, which was one room. And we were stacked in there like cords of wood. And it was, it was all garden. And I kind of understood about farming because we all had the privilege of working in the garden. We had tillers at our house, but they were not electric. They were called Leon Hollis kids. And we tilled the ground with hoes. And we had to, remember the old push tillers you'd push through? Yeah. And we had the one that had the big wheel in the front. Remember those? You have a big wheel in front and a little plow blade in the front, and you just push that and work up the ground. Wow, we had the best garden. My mom would put up literally, this sounds exaggerating, but it's really the truth. She put up close to thousands of jars of tomatoes, thousands of jars of whatever. Some of the things, I don't even know what they were in those jars and probably don't want to know what was in those. But uh, we saw things grow. And it, it, there's a time of impatience whenever you're a farmer. You work up the ground, you get it just right, you plant the seed, and then you wait till you see the little beginnings. And if you see enough of the beginnings... You either thin them out or just leave them alone. The next task is keeping the weeds away from the plants. Ah, my least favorite part. Because that meant a lot of on your knees, pulling weeds, or using the old plow to plow through the, as close as you can get. I have some very unremarkable years where I accidentally plowed the plants <clears throat> instead of the weeds. Anyway, we won't talk about that too much. 
then after you got it all weeded, there's this time, what I call the impatient time. You wait for it to rain, and it rain, usually pretty much on cue. Uh, and those little plants went from that to that to that to that. And then they go from skinny to large, larger, larger. And then you'd begin to see like a tomato plant, you'd see little tiny green things, little tiny green tomatoes. I'm saying all this because it sort of drove me crazy as a young guy. That may have been what happened to me. Anyway, uh, it started to drive me crazy because it's like, when's the crops going to get here? I want to eat a tomato right now. I still had two months to go, but I wanted to eat it. And uh, <clears throat> we were a lot like that about the second coming. We've watched the church be planted. We've watched the church grow. We've watched the church become beautiful. We've watched the music become beautiful. We've watched pastors become yeah, I didn't say that. We've watched a lot of things happen, and there's still no crop. What's going on? James reminds us, he says, therefore, be patient. Brethren, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives early and latter rain. And then the fruit comes, and then the end comes, and then the celebration comes, and then the great feast comes, and then the gathering comes, and all the glorious things that happen along with it. After two days, he will revive us. After three days, he says, he will raise us up. And he says, I will be like rain upon you, and it will be early and late rain. This morning, we are... Standing on the edge of time. We are living in a century or an age of destiny. There's no doubt these are historical moments that we live in. The church is not based upon how big it is. The church is not based upon how much money it has. The church, the basis of a great church is how much do they anticipate that soon their prince will come. That soon their prince will come. Anybody can live a good life on earth. Anybody can build a big building. Anybody can do a lot of good things in life. But how many people can believe in their hearts as a body of believers that soon their prince will come? Soon our prince will come, church. Soon our prince will come. He's coming. I hope he doesn't wreck your plans, but he's coming. I hope you still get to be able to enjoy life just because he's coming. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Well, somehow in my life, I believe, and I want to believe this too, that it's going to happen in the 21st century. I just, something about it. I just feel like it's going to happen. I know people before me have felt like it was going to happen in their centuries, in their lives, their decades. So many prophetic events have taken place and have been fulfilled or they're certainly sitting on the threshold of the door ready to step into the new prophecy. There's some things that are so close you could just about push it over with a feather. For instance, there are multi-millionaires and billionaires who have already financed the rebuilding of the temple. Do you know that's already paid for? It's already done. They're just waiting for the right time, waiting for the right government waiting for the right opportunity so they can go into Jerusalem, which is now, now, once again, the capital of Israel. Say amen. Yeah, I agree. That was a big deal. That was not a political thing. That was a biblical thing. Because it says that Jerusalem would become the center again, the capital again. And in the capital, they would build the temple, and there... Certain things would happen, of course, prophetically, that were necessary to happen. The money's in place. The people are in place. The provisions are in place. It's just a matter of time. So many prophecies. In fact, we go to Matthew chapter 24. Let's go a little deeper in the Word. While you're looking for Matthew 24 in your Bibles, I read this recently in a, a magazine about the... Uh, <clears throat> Ambassador to the United States from Israel. Israel's ambassador to the United States. Here, I quote, 
When one thinks of the Bible in the context of today's events, you can see all the signs pointing to the end of an age. That didn't come from an evangelical minister. That didn't come from a TV evangelist. That didn't come from a, a dedicated Catholic priest. This came from a Jewish ambassador to the United States of America. Let me read it again. Listen carefully. Recently, the ambassador said, when one reads the Bible in the context of today's events, what's happening? You all know. You can see all the signs pointing to an end of an age. Matthew chapter 24. Turn with me to that portion. You probably already have it ahead of me. All right, here we go. This is where the meat of the message is. Hang on dear. Hang on a little bit here. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm not going to even read them. I'm just going to tell you this, that Jesus is speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. He says they're going to be destroyed. And I might add that both were, both have been. Both have been rebuilt except the temple. The temple only has a little segment left that's actually from the old, but they have everything ready for the new. And he says it's all going to be wiped out. Of course, that was the hot news to the disciples. The disciples must have heard that and just did one of these deals. What? Like that? What did he just say? You said Jerusalem's going to be destroyed and the temple's going to be destroyed? At that point, it was flourishing. Everything was fine. And for Jesus, who had been their, you know, their discipler, their mentor, their everything, their savior, to say it's going to go down, it really got their attention. So that brings us to verse 3. And and he says, in verse 3, he says, Now, I said at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Yeah, I can just see that running to him, saying, tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And, and, and of the end of the age. Three things. He said, uh, I want you to tell me about these. Could you just tell us, uh, when's this going to happen? And, and uh, uh, what's the sign of you coming back? And, and what's the end of the age? What is it all about? And Jesus would reply and give us some of the most uh, Wonderful scriptures on ecology, uh, uh, not ecology, eschological um, scriptures that speak to us about the future. And he's, he mentions things like, uh, oh, he says, well, for one thing, um, there's going to be deception, deception, and uh, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be uh, famine, pestilence, earthquakes. On and on, he gives a whole list of things that's going to happen. And I've, I've preached whole sermons on each one of those, but I think you folks know that a lot of those things have happened all through, all through life. It's not just happening once. But he said they're all going to happen very quickly and very strong. The key verse in chapter 24 is verse uh, number 8. Short little verse, and it just says this. All these are the beginning of sorrows. I always wondered what that verse really meant until I understood what the word sorrows mean. The word sorrows is identical to the word they use for birth pains. When a woman is having a baby, she has birth pains, which we would call sorrows. They're not sorry. Although Marianne would tell you, because she was a birthing coach, she heard a lot of women tell her, I'm sorry, I ever got pregnant <laughs> in the moment of, of birth pains. All kinds of interesting things happen. But anyway, that's another sermon another day. But birth pains of having a baby is the word sorrow there. So he's saying all these things about the end times are like birth pains. I don't know much about birth pain. 
I've never been there. I don't think I will be. Uh, <clears throat> However, interviewing and talking and reading about it, I understand that as you get closer to the time of the delivery of that baby, the, the pain is closer. They get closer. The contractions are closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until there's a certain, there's a certain rhythm to the body where the contractions are exactly the right timing, but the, the pain ent- intensifies with the contractions. So they're not only closer and closer and closer, they're harder and harder and harder, intense, 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 and then comes the baby. And Jesus is saying here, and these are the words of Jesus, he said, the second coming, my second coming is going to be a lot like birth pains. These things, earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of wars, all these things that I'm talking to you about are like birth pains. They get closer and closer and closer and closer and more intense and more intense and more intense and more intense. Does that sound anything like today? Does it sound anything like our world today? Oh, yeah. Right now, I think I, I heard that there's 37 or 47, I can't remember, I'm sorry, I don't know which one it was, 37 to 47 wars going on right now in the world. You know that? I couldn't tell you where they're at, but there's 37 to 47 major wars, country against country, people against people. And on top of it, how about rumor war? We hear rumors all the time. I believe that there's this real nice little nation called Iran where we have... We have stationed some of our battleships out on their, on their ocean with our missiles aimed at them and, our, and our, our airplanes ready to go because of some of the violations. They already have shot down one of our drones. and or I'm not sure how all that went, but there's tension. There's rumors of war, and we could be in another war. It's, it's a rumor at this point, and that seems to happen all the time. And we get over this crisis, and then there'll be one with probably like North Korea. We get over that, we may have one with China. We get over that, then there might be one somewhere else. There's always these wars and rumors of wars. And the child pain aspect is it's getting closer and closer and closer and more intense and more intense and more intense. Why? Just because that's the way things are going? No. Someday, my prince will come. Someday, he's coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it's getting close. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. I hope, I hope you're still awake. If your neighbor's asleep, just slap him. <clears throat> oh, no, just nudge him. You don't have to slap him. I did have one, the most dramatic. I've always had snorers over the years. Uh, I'll tell you the first experience, and I'll give you two or three other real quick stories. I was a young guy in Bible college. I think it was my sophomore year. My home church asked me to come back and speak because I was a big-time sophomore at Bible college. Woo-hoo. And by the way, I got a testimony coming to this morning yet, too. You're going to love this. It kind of goes along with this story. But I was a big-time Bible college student, and I worked for five hours to preach a 10-minute sermon. Mm. I mean, I was geared up, fired up, and ready to go, and I had pages and pages of notes, and it took me 10 minutes. But mm, as I was preaching my, one of my very first sermons in my home church, I looked out, and there was this family of people. Their names were the Davis family. And all the Davis family people weighed 300 pounds. Well, the kids all weighed 300, and the parents weighed more than that. And they had like, I think, three kids and the two parents. And they had, we had these long pews. And they were large enough people that they filled a whole pew. In fact, they were only allowed to sit in one pew that Marianne's dad had fortified. They had, had to put a little extra lumber under those pews because they were breaking down the furniture at the church. True. And so he said, well, we got this one just for you guys. That's yours. And uh, <clears throat> sit there. So I'm preaching away. I'm all fired up and says, you know, God loves you. New revelation. God loves you. And I was expecting everybody to go, amen, amen, amen. I think they'd heard that already. And then uh, I threw out everything I had, you know. And I looked up, I looked out, 
And here are five people, large enough to, to cover the rest of the people. Every one of them were. And every one of them were asleep during my dynamic 10-minute sermon. I couldn't believe it. So uh, I felt kind of bad. I said, man, I, I bombed. So I told Marianne's dad, uh, Pastor Pope, I said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I, I don't think it was a very good sermon. He said, why, why, why did you think of that? He said, I saw a whole world of people fall asleep. He says, ah, they all have sleep ap- ap- apnea or whatever. And, and, and when they come to church, that's when they really relax and they get into it. So they did that all the time. I didn't know that. Well, one other time, and I'll just, I'll just cut it down. There's so many funny, funny stories. One time, uh, I was in Ottawa, Iowa, and uh, <clears throat> back would be over kind of like in this area. We had one gentleman, a dear, dear brother, uh, who occasionally would fall asleep every service. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> I, he did like normal. And this time... He fell out of the chair onto the, onto the side. And uh, <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Uh, he was an older gentleman, and uh, he, was the, he was the brother that helped me with the parking situation, Marianne. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, she, she'll know who it is. And he fell out of the chair onto the floor, and everybody's going, oh, like, you know, panic. He said he had a heart attack, and he just fell asleep, you know, and got him back up. And, of course, he was slightly embarrassed, and he put him back in the chair. And I said, oh. I said well, that's a lesson well done. So I got to the end of the sermon. I looked out, and he'd fallen asleep again. Um, <clears throat> anyway, he said in, in Luke chapter 21, we're back to that scripture when I said, I hope you're not falling asleep. That, all that because of that. Luke chapter 21, verse 8. Listen to this. Take heed that you be not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be a great, there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute and so forth. He said, these things are going to happen. It's going to happen. My last scripture is Luke chapter 21 again and verse 25. Here's the conclusion. Here's where we're going, and this is where I'm going to wrap it up. And there will be Jesus again speaking. He, Jesus said, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, and the sea and the water roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for their powers of heaven will be shaken. Now listen to verse 27 and 8. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up Look up, look up, and lift up your hearts, or lift up your heads, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Wow. One last little thought. I won't have you turn there. We won't show it, but in Matthew 24, 14, it says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world. As a witness, Jesus said, then the end will come. And he said, I will come. The end will come, and I will come. He's coming soon. Someday, somewhere, sometime, your prince 
My Prince of Peace is coming soon. Look up. Come on, church. Look up. Don't look down. Look up. Lift up your heads. Don't look down. Look up. Lift up your heads. He's coming soon. The countdown is on. The new age is close. The chapter is close to its closure. We shall see the king. Our prince will come. You know, God wants all of our obedience in these last days. He wants us. And with our obedience, he wants our gifts and our sacrifices. We know the obedience is better than the sacrifice, but he never did say, I'm going to take away all sacrifice. I'm going to take away all gifts. He said, I want your obedience and your gifts. And what's the greatest gift that you can give to God now? God wants you. And he wants me. And he wants all of me and all of you. Your money has little importance. Your personality, little importance. Your properties, your holdings, little importance. Your friends, your titles, your achievements, little importance. But he sure makes you and me important. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us in these last days. The gift you give to God before he comes is you. Is you. And if you give all of you to him, everything else will follow. If I surrender myself to him, I, you'll never have to hear another sermon on tithing again. If I surrender all myself to him, I'll never have to hear another sermon on doing good to others. If I give myself entirely to him, I'll never hear another sermon on you need to come to church more than once a week. Because when you give yourself all to God, there's something inside you that says, I want to be with my brothers and sisters. I want to be in his presence because Jesus is coming soon. I know other things are important, but what's really important is my prince will come soon. So I give myself as a gift to God. We give ourselves as a gift to God. We give our families to God. We give our church to God. We give our nation to God. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. In the day that I live, come, Lord Jesus. Someday, my prince will come. Would you stand with me, please? I'm sorry I got you so quiet. When I start talking about church attendance, two things, money and church attendance, people get real quiet. It's like, oh, man. Oh, me, oh, my. But the truth of it is, God wants all of us. I think you all look good on Sunday morning. But you all look pretty good on Wednesday, too. And I think God kind of likes seeing us Sunday morning, don't you? Yeah. This is our day of worship. But Wednesday's just an extra day where you say, I'm just going to give the Lord extra. I'm just going to give him that day. What I have to do is kind of important, but what he is all about is really important. Someday, your prince, my prince, will come. Are you really ready? Come on. You say, well, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm not sure if church attendance gets you to heaven. You say, well, I gave my heart to the Lord as a little boy or a little girl. Well, that'll get you to heaven. But sure shaky in the day that we live, isn't it? If that's all it is. That's sometime way back when I said yes to Jesus. So now I can just do whatever I want. And Jesus said, I'm coming for people who are separated, who are special, who are loving. I'm coming for people who mean more than just the average status. I'm looking for people who are real people, the real deal, strong, strong-hearted, driven towards Jesus. And they're saying every day, someday my prince will come. Someday my prince will come. Jesus, come. Come today, Lord. Oh, God. 
I want to be in heaven. I want to see my loved ones. I want to enter into that new life, the glorious life. And Lord, what a shortcut it would be if you'd just come and take us. Just come and take us. Lord, I'm ready. I got my, my flying shoes on, Lord. I'm ready to fly towards heaven. Oh, God. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today and others, Lord, that couldn't be here today, that, God, every one of us would be ready, ready, ready. You are the love of our life. You are the rock, the sword of our life, the wheel of wheels, and you're the Alpha and Omega, and you're everything, Lord. You've saved us and filled us and loved us and when everybody thought we were ugly, you thought we were pretty. When everybody gave up on us, you said, I'm going to give you not one chance, but many, many chances to stand tall. Thank you, Lord. You gave me and so many of us here today chances to stand tall. And now, Lord, I just say, you are the prince of my life. And I look for you to come soon. Please come soon, Lord Jesus. Bless all these dear folks. Now, would you just bow your heads now and close your eyes for a moment? Just This is going to be intensely personal, so I don't even want to cheat and look around. <laughs> because I'm going to keep my eyes closed. But we all need an expression where we just say, this is between me and God. But in your heart, if you say, maybe I've been a little slack concerning the my prince coming soon and I want to get back to that place where I'm excited about him coming I want to get back to that place where I, I'm, I'm thrilled about the signs of, of the day that I live in and not worried and upset about it but I'm really thinking God's coming the Lord is coming my prince is coming Lord I want to get back to that place if you're like that in your own way acknowledge it to the Lord if you want to raise your hand that's fine if you want to put your hand on your heart, that's fine. If you want to just fold your hands, that's fine. If you want to just say it inside your mind, Lord Jesus, that's me. I want more. I want to be more excited about your coming. I want to be more in tune with your coming, Jesus. Let's do it right now. Do it right now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I believe God answers prayer. Amen. God's answering your prayer. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Okay. Is there anyone here today who would like to make a recommitment to Jesus? What I'm going to let you do is just briefly walk out of that place where you're standing. And just say, I'm going to go to that altar and just say, here I am. Here's my life. I want to recommit. I just feel empowered to do that. I feel like I need to do it. I want, I'm going to do it. Go ahead and do it right now. Just, just come up and stand up here at this altar and say, I just want to reconnect. I just want to re, be re-blessed. Yeah. Amen. God's good. Now, take a hold of your neighbor's hand because we gave you an opportunity to walk up here. Now, your neighbor is going to pray with all their heart for you. Now, here's the instructions. For you who are praying for your neighbor, pray for them as if they were lost. Wow. Yeah. Pray for them like there's no hope. And their life depends upon your prayer right now. Got it? That's your instructions. Now, pray for your neighbor. You don't have to know what to pray for. You just say, God, help them. Go ahead and pray. Pray right out loud to them. Lord God, hear the prayers of your children. Lord, hear us as we pray for our neighbors. Lord, with intensity, I pray in Jesus' name. God bless. God bless in Jesus' name. Pour out your spirit upon each of my brothers, Lord. God bless them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Lord, bless them. Bless, Lord, your children. Bless us, Lord, together. Lord, for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless each one. God, bless each one. Pour out the Spirit. 